Air pollution, climate change, global warming, issues that dominate the news. What can any of us do to make a difference? There is something you can do, and it's at your local Saturn retailer. EV1, the electric car from General Motors. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin, here with my friend Joe. Hello. Hello, Joe. Today we're going to be talking about the General Motors EV1, which was one of the first uh, mainstream electric cars. Have you heard of this car, Joe? I have not, but I'm feeling very stereotyped right now because I think you brought in your one friend from Michigan to talk about GM. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling something personal, are we? (laughs) I don't actually know hardly anything about cars despite living here, so... I'm interested to learn. So you're a fake Michigan. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, ho- hopefully you'll learn something today or just, or, or you'll, you'll forget about it in a couple of days and then you can just listen to this whenever you need to learn again. Perfect. Yeah. This, this might surprise you, but prior to about the 1960s, there wasn't many laws regarding air quality in the United States. It was it was very much just you can put whatever you want in the air. Right. And that was causing a lot of problems. So starting in the 1960s, the United States federal government and a couple of states started passing laws to improve air quality. The main one here was the Clean Air Act, which was passed in 1963, and it allowed the federal government to control air pollution for the first time. That clean air act was amended several times throughout the 60s 70s and 90s and each of those amendments targeted air pollution from both like large industrial plants as well as motor vehicles however some states such as california uh, started creating their own guidelines that were stricter than what the federal government was doing that does sound like california yeah very california thing to do So with that backdrop, in January 1990, General Motors showed off its concept electric car called the Impact at the 1990 LA Auto Show. And I've got a video for you to watch of someone driving the car. Well, it definitely looks like it's from the 90s. Um, The design is like super rounded i guess you could say and the video was not super flattering either it was kind of a boring video um but it really doesn't look that crazy for an electric vehicle in the 90s the like console and all that jazz uh looks pretty standard yeah it it does it does have that 90s car aesthetic i would say the weirdest part of it is the the back there's not really a trunk i can't tell yeah i don't Um, think there is a trunk and like the the rear tires are halfway covered i don't know if you noticed there's no like gear shift i think there are just buttons on the console for that oh yeah there's no like stick that is weird oh they're next to oh they're next to the key uh key slot the starter i don't know what card components are called so yeah just you know 90s car but a little bit more rounded i guess so 
Anyway, so this is the car that GM shows off in 1990. It's a two-seater designed from the ground up as an electric vehicle. So unlike a, a couple other attempts at EVs before this and many cars after this that were EVs, it wasn't just the skeleton of a gas car that they put batteries in and called it a day. Uh, it was powered by 32 lead-acid batteries, which are the same type of battery that go in gas cars like that you know powers all the electric components and just gets recharged by the gas yeah so a little bit weird there general motors said this concept car could go from zero to 60 miles per hour in eight seconds now if, if you're like me you have no idea what <laughs> a good time for that is so i i looked up some comparisons the 2020 Tesla Model 3 Plus goes 0 to 60 in 5 seconds. The 2020 Nissan Leaf S goes 0 to 60 in 8.4. And the 2021 Chevy Bolt goes 0 to 60 in 6.5 seconds. So not, I mean, not awful. Yeah, that's pretty good for, you know, 1990. Uh, 1990 electric cars, rather. The concept car had a range of 124 miles and the battery pack would need to be replaced every 20,000 miles which would cost around $1,500 so that was a little rough 124 miles you said yeah okay so what does a standard tesla get i think they're around 200 250 now okay yeah, so this would have just basically been like a commuter car, like, you know, a lot what a lot of people use EVs for now. Yeah. But, you know, this was a concept car, and General Motors said at the time that it wasn't sure if they could market it, like if anyone really wanted this car. <laughs> However, in September of 1990, the California Air Resources Board adopted a new program called the Low Emission Vehicle and Clean Fuels Program. And this had been in development as early as 1988, but General Motors showing off this impact car and giving a test drive to some members of the Air Resources Board helped California officials see that low emission vehicles could be practical. So they had been wanting to do something like this for a while, but they weren't sure if car manufacturers could actually make electric vehicles. And, you know, once they saw this, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, they can probably do this. Yeah. So the program required that auto companies selling cars in California would have to produce a certain number of low emission vehicles. The original guidelines were that low emission vehicles had to make up 2% of car fleets starting in 1998 for each company, raising to 5% in 2001 and then 10% in 2003. So a little bit of a sliding scale there to try to yeah. ramp up the technology. And the rule applied to any company selling 35,000 cars or more in California every year. So at the time, that included Chrysler, Ford, General Motors, Honda, Mazda, Nissan, and Toyota. Also, when California announced this, uh, New York and Massachusetts uh, pledged to follow California's lead, and they were going to adopt the same rules. So that sort of created an incentive for General Motors to sell the car, because now California... One needed um, 2% of their cars to be electric in a couple of years. Oh, so you Calif you mean California wanted 2% of all the cars 
in their state to be electric? All the cars uh, sold in a certain year. Okay. So in the year of 1998, General Motors, all the cars they sell in California, 2% of those would have to be electric, basically. Got it. And then that would ramp up to 5% of sales in 2001. Now that California was doing this, General Motors started to test the impact concept car with potential customers across the country. 50 cars were given to households on a two-week loan, and volunteers had to submit requests to test out the car through their electric utilities because the those companies would come in and install the fancy charger in their garages. General Motors expected around 4,000 people to apply in Los Angeles, but they got 9,300 wow. responses. And they expected fewer than 5,000 people to be interested in the New York area, but they got 14,000 responses. Wow. Yeah. So almost immediately, there's this interest in the car that maybe they weren't expecting. There wasn't a lot of coverage about the concept car test because it was so limited but generally drivers really like the car how are they getting the news out about this at this time like to get people that even want to like was this just news coverage and stuff like that that was spreading the word yeah well it was they were doing it through the electric companies so i I believe the electric companies would reach out and say hey do you want to do this but after the loan period GM took the cars back and, and destroyed them. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is a thing that car companies do with like concept vehicles because they don't want someone dri- uh, driving them out of the junkyard or whatever and driving them on the road. Okay. I guess I can see that. It's, it's kind of funny though. In 1995, California actually changed its timeline for the electric vehicle requirements So the original rule said that 2% of all cars produced by 1998 had to be electric cars. However, they were now changing it so that 10% of car fleets would have to be electric, but they were moving up the date to 2003. And the new rules said that only around 3,750 cars produced between 1998 and 2000 would have to be electric. Whereas the, the original rules had that around 60,000. So they wow. were yeah, so they were they were ramping this down significantly. Yeah. Um sort of pushing it off like okay, you know, just when you're ready, when you're ready <laughs> make some electric cars. The rule change had a mixed response. Environmental advocates were upset that California was starting to push this off. Car manufacturers and some others in the industry thought that the battery technology wasn't ready yet. You know, like I said earlier, that the impact car would need its $1,500 battery packs replaced every 20,000 miles. Yeah. Honestly, though, that that doesn't sound that awful to me when you said it. But I mean, especially when you think about, like, the car doesn't really need any other maintenance. Like, you, you know, you don't need oil changes. You don't need, you know, there's not going to be random bits in the engine that fall apart. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's still a little bit of a harder sell. I mean, it's almost you, like replacing a part of your, or like upgrading a part of your computer instead of getting a new computer, like keep the yeah. car, upgrade the batteries. I don't know. Maybe the battery argument was a little bit of a harder sell than like general car maintenance. 
you know, with, with gas cars, like you don't really know how often something needs to be repaired until it needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But here, like, you know, you're, when you were buying electric car, GM was like, okay, you will a hundred percent have to spend this money every 20,000 miles. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that wasn't as, uh, compelling. And we know that people love to change. Right. Also that same year, General Motors announced that it would begin commercial production of an electric car, and they said it would it would be based on that impact concept. And they eventually revealed that the name would be the General Motors EV1, which I didn't know this, but apparently that was the first car in the company's history to use the GM brand instead of one of its subdivisions. Hmm. Interesting. Do they do that today, even? I don't think so. I don't think, I think so most either. most of their cars get sold under like Chevy, right? But they have GMC, yeah. which is kind of GM. Finally, in December 1996, the General Motors EV1 becomes available. The initial launch was only at select uh, Saturn dealerships across California <laughs> and Arizona. Right, this is when we had Saturn cars. <laughs> yeah, uh, the. MSRP was $34,000, but GM wasn't actually letting anyone buy it. You could only lease the car. Besides the $500 per month, GM also required that charging stations be installed at each buyer's home, which costs about $1,000 for the initial installation. Mm. And the design for the EV1 looked almost identical to that impact car. I did see in some of the reports that the EV1 uh, took nine seconds to go from zero to 60 instead of eight seconds for <laughs> the concept car. So there were like a couple changes somewhere, but it was pretty close to the car, which doesn't happen all that much. Usually whenever car companies show off like crazy concepts at, ca at car shows, the, the final version isn't nearly as cool. <laughs> right. I'm going to have you read this review from AutoCar or this section of the review from AutoCar. There's no question that the EV1 is a technological triumph for GM, but at the same time, it's an essentially flawed endeavor. The sad fact is that the car is lugging around a whopping 522 kilograms of lead-acid batteries to go at best 90 miles. A car powered by an efficient conventional engine carrying the same weight in petrol could travel 10,000 miles. The EV1 is also hopelessly handicapped by the hideous expense of the batteries. A great deal of electric cars' future depends on factors beyond manufacturer's control. Government subsidies, tax credits, and other financial support for owners could make a significant difference. In the meantime, GM deserves praise for creating a milestone in the evolution of the electric car. So right, right there, you can tell the EV1 has the same issue that a lot of later cars had, where the manufacturer says it can go 120 miles. You know, when you have to deal with hills and accelerating and decelerating all the time the range is usually shorter yeah 90 miles is not a lot there was one more review i found from car and driver other electric car makers are going with onboard conductive recharging systems so there's a vhs versus beta situation brewing we can't predict how it will pan out but we can observe that the ev1 has limited appeal right now it is quiet, it performs well, and it emits no pollution, but the range problems, the recharging time, and the high purchase cost are obstacles that will have to be overlooked or overcome before the EV1 presents a viable alternative to gas-powered cars. Still, it's a start. 
generally the opinion is this car isn't like amazing, but it's the first step. It's pretty much exactly what I would have expected the reviews for like one of the <laughs> early electric cars to be. Yeah. By May of 1997, General Motors had only leased 176 of these cars. And Oof. by the end of 1997, that was 300. So not very many of these. No. Because again, they were only, you could only lease them and they were only at a handful of dealerships. And the, the dealerships were located around where the charging systems were set up. But also General Motors seemed not super interested in widespread marketing for the EV1. Most of the advertising was through direct mail and some magazines. There weren't very many TV ads or, or radio ads or anything like that. One General Motors employee told the New York Times a few years later, uh, they said, we launched the car in December of 1996, and by about April, I'd figured we'd been duped. They weren't marketing the vehicle. <laughs> they probably didn't want to have to make many. Yeah. So some people who were buying the car thought that General Motors actually just wanted the car to fail so that it could, you know, they could go to California and say, look, no one wants this car. Don't make us do this requirement. We don't want to do it. And no one wants the car. But because some of these people thought that the failure point was just that people didn't know about it, some actually basically took it upon themselves to sell the car for GM. Are you talking about fanboys, Corbin? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so this is the most interesting part of this entire story for me. This guy named Marvin V. Rush who at the time was working as a cinematographer for Star Trek Voyager, which was on TV <laughs> at the time, uh, spent $20,000 of his own money to produce and air four unauthorized radio commercials for the EV-1. And because he was working on Star Trek Voyager, he got some Voyager stars to voice the commercials for him. Oh, my. So have you? are you familiar with... Um, robert picardo at all no okay he was the holographic doctor on star trek voyager and he was in about half of these commercials it took a while for me to find these um uh like the audio recordings because i found a couple news articles that were saying like oh this guy made these radio commercials and i'm like okay but where are they where can i listen to them <laughs> and i've i've finally found it there was a ev1 fan site that's still online and it had the recording so i cleaned up one of the audio files i'm impressed that these are even available online at all wouldn't it be great if every morning when you got up your car had a full tank while you were sleeping it just filled itself up and wouldn't it be great if your car was really quick you know the kind of quick that could leave ordinary cars behind service would come with the car and it wouldn't need much service either maybe twice a year they rotate the tires and wash it for you Everything would be covered, from tires to wiper blades. This car would be great for the environment. It wouldn't even have a tailpipe. And when you pulled into a store with this car, the shop owner would be so glad to see you, he would fill up your tank for free. So original that every time you stop, a crowd formed just to see it. So inexpensive to operate that you could forget about the cost of fuel. Where do you get a car like that? EV1 the electric car from General Motors, 
Available now at your local Saturn retailer. Call 1-800-25-ELECTRIC for information. That's not a bad ad, I gotta say. No, it's not. I wouldn't have known who that was, but (laughs) he convinced me to buy one. So there were a couple more of these with other Voyager cast members, but General Motors was actually opposed to the commercials initially, but they later made them official and actually reimbursed Rush for making them. Oh, really? Yeah, so GM eventually aired these. Yeah. It's weird, though, because it almost looks bad if if you're, like, vehemently against it because... It's like he's just trying to sell more of your product. Yeah. If you tell him to stop, it's like, okay, I guess you really don't want to sell any of this product. Yeah. Uh, So a little bit after this, General Motors releases the second generation of the EV1 for the 1999 model year. And there are actually two versions of this car. So one of them is an EV1 with upgraded lead acid batteries which you know were the same technology that the first gen was using. And that had a range of around 80 to 100 miles. But they also had an EV1 with nickel metal hydrate batteries, and that had a range of 100 to 140 miles. So definitely an improvement there. Yeah. And uh, also GM cut the cost of installing a home charger to $500. It was previously $1,000. So... At this time, was home the only place that you could charge these things? So there were around 300 public charging stations in Southern California and the San Francisco Bay Area. And in Arizona, there were around 43. So it it's it's a lot like today, where if you have an electric car, you're probably going to charge it at your home just overnight. But if you mm. are out and about there are some charging stations for you that's more than i would have expected actually yeah yeah it it helped because there were a couple other companies that were trying to make electric cars at this time i uh, i believe like one of the more successful ones was toyota so they were all trying to deploy it some kind of charging infrastructure for these cars However, General Motors ended up only building 500 of the Gen 2 cars, which were just barely enough to meet California's requirements. So then in January of 2001, California changed its EV rules again. So now only 2% of cars sold in 2003 would have to be electric cars, with another 8% as uh, extremely low emission cars. But that was a big drop from uh, 10% by 2003. Yeah. And which, you know, which itself was, again, another big drop from the previous rules. But even with these lower requirements, General Motors still said the plan was impractical. And they asked the California Air Resources Board to reconsider again. I love how California is bending to, you know, meet the the minimum requirements here for for GM. And GM is still just like, eh. Yeah. Could you could you be a little nicer? I don't know if I feel like it, California. <laughs> so a month later in February of two thousand one, General Motors filed a lawsuit against California for the EV requirements. Oh boy. They they said that battery powered cars like the E V one would be impractical at 
mass scale. And they also said that to meet the current requirement, General Motors would have to produce thousands of small golf cart-like EVs. I, I guess under the assumption that they couldn't sell the EV1, even though the demand for it was outstripping the product. In February of 2002, General Motors informed EV1 drivers that their current leases would not be renewed. So they were effectively discontinuing the car. Some, some of the people who had the cars actually sent checks to GM to try to buy the car outright. But wow. GM ref, yeah, but GM refused because they said that under U.S. law, and presumably California had some rules with this too, if they sold the car to people, then they would also have to continue manufacturing parts for a very long time. I think I think it's 15 years or something like that. Right, and the the whole battery replacement issue. Right. So most of the leases expired in 2003, but a few people that got leases like right before GM said no, they could keep driving their EV1s until August of 2004. So that's when the car was completely pulled off the roads. So just like the impact concept car, General Motors ended up crushing most EV1s that were returned back to them. Now you said most. Are you going to tell me that there are some of these still out there? I did say most. Good observation. General Motors did keep a few intact EV1s, and the bulk of those were sent to universities for like you know their science programs or whatever to look at it and tear it apart if they wanted. I don't think GM really cared. The cars they sent out were deactivated, so you couldn't actually drive them. So they <laughs> pulled out like the drivetrain and I, I guess the batteries too. But one model, which was donated to the Western Washington University, was actually repaired by students and faculty in 2007. GM later asked that the repaired car should not be driven on public road. There was something in the agreement when they sent the cars to those universities. I was like, hey, please don't drive this. But the school later turned it into a hybrid car, which GM was fine with for some reason. I'm not really sure what the deal was there, but so that car still exists as far as I know as a hybrid. Weird. Also in December 2015, there was an episode aired of Jay Leno's Garage. (laughs) I didn't think researching this podcast would involve signing up for Peacock so I could watch Jay Leno's garage, but (laughs) that's dedication. Yeah. But that's how it ended up. That's on the free category. You can watch without paying money in that episode of Jay Leno's garage. He goes and looks at some cars owned by Francis Ford Coppola, which is the director of the Godfather. And he shows off his, uh, his cars and he actually has an EV one. And he said in the episode that, he liked the car, and then when he found out that GM was taking them back, he hid it. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. What What killed me is, like, I saw a snippet of this on YouTube or something. So I was like, okay, I got to see the whole episode, because surely they've got to, like, spend more time on this. No, it's like 20 seconds in this 40-minute long episode. It's just him saying, oh, yeah, I have this car. I heard they were taking it back, so I hid it, and now I have it. There's all these EV1 fanboys who are like, please, GM, I'm sending you a check. 
let me keep the car and they never thought to just hide it yeah 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 and this director is just like no and i guess she was like okay <laughs> like i'd love to know more about that story also i'd love to know if that car works because again like that's the other thing with all the other cars that still exist is that they were that they had they had them gutted before gm sent them away so like does that car work i have no idea they did not I'd say. have to imagine the batteries would be long gone by now yeah they'd have to replace the batteries i'm sure that's what francis ford coppola spends his time doing yeah <laughs> he's scouring ebay for the exact com- compatible battery he's on those ev1 fan forums you found yeah so a lot of the other ev1s that were given to universities a lot of them were just abandoned or they were parked in the parking lots owned by the schools and just kind of left there it's like <laughs> they didn't really have anything to do with them here's your gift bye uh however i did find an article from january of 2021 where at least one of the cars that were given to a university was still in like perfect condition. I, I think that one was also deactivated, but like they showed off some pictures of it and it looked it, it, it looked like it did when it was new. It does look pretty dang pristine. Did you see this other article on the drive.com about finding one in an Atlanta parking garage? That was one of a couple ones I found where the cars were just sort of left <laughs> out in the open you know, red EV1 just in a parking garage and Mm. it's all dusty because no one's driven it in years. Why didn't they give any of these to like a museum or something? Well, there is, there is one in the Smithsonian and I don't know if that one is deactivated. There, there was one donated to the Smithsonian. I'm not sure where, which museum exactly it's in right now, but they do have one. That's, that's really it. That's the story of the EV1. One of the first, uh, I don't want to say mass production because I don't know if like, it definitely was not mass produced. (laughs) I don't know if like 3000 cars counts as mass production. Yeah. Well, it's one of the rarest cars in the world. That's what this article says. This one was interesting to research because there's sort of two, there's two narratives with everything written about this car. There's the opinion of the people who really like the car, who say that like this was a great car and GM just wanted it to fail, so they did they didn't have to produce electric cars. And then there's the other narrative from GM and some people working in the car industry who were basically like, we don't really know if we can sell this, and a lot of the technology we need isn't there yet. Yeah. And I, I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there because a car with a range of, let's say, around 100 miles, that is a hard sell. It's still a hard sell today. For sure. But it's like, it's not like if you had asked me before you told me any of this to, you know, come up with what the reviews were of the car at the time, it would have been very similar to the reviews that I read. So yeah. It's 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 really like that's what you would expect from a uh, electric car at that time. Um, that part's not really surprising to me. The interesting part is, did to me at least is is was GM actually trying with this? I think the engineers in GM were trying, but the rest of the company was not. I think that's what happened here. You know, GM's argument 
time and time again was like the technology is not there yet but like the technology wasn't there yet because there wasn't a production car being you know sold in vast quantities that needed good battery technology and all these other components you need for an ev you know the the demand for the car would push that underlying technology forward yeah it's the it's the whole tesla situation you know it's like they came along and kind of pushed that to what it is now yeah well it's you know this has happened so many times like the um uh like the space race in the 60s mm-hmm. the 60s were a huge push in technology just because all of america wanted to get to the moon yeah i would have liked to see gm stick with it it's car companies though man they are so so hesitant to to change like gm was probably doing pretty fine in the 90s um with gas vehicles so like what was their incentive to rock the boat 